Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the first Bamford goal of the podcast. Take that, Gabby Abbong Lahore. And I'm joined by the second Bamford goal of the podcast, Tom Woodhead. Pick that one out of the net, Gabby. And finally, the Gabby Abbong Lahore Twitter account of the podcast, strangely missing at the most important times. It's Joe Hill. Joe, how are you? I'm great. I'm great. You love to see it. You love to see some good old fashioned Twitter banter. It was just <laughs> something brilliant to wake up to this morning and just take a good scroll. And I, th- I think the Leeds fans as a collective did a fantastic job of, of shutting him down, which is brilliant. <laughs> Tom Woodhead, how are you? Oh, yeah, I'm great. Um, the word Gabby, the more you say it, the more you realise that it is the name of a middle aged woman. yeah i'm great yeah that was super fun last night wasn't it yeah and i think it made a difference it being a friday night weirdly it was quite nice just sort of being the first game up knowing that everyone was watching us getting it sort of out of the way early on so you can kind of not worry about it for the rest of the weekend and um Mm. uh yeah and winning it in the way that we did was uh, the cherry on top really um joe did you, you must have enjoyed that yeah, absolutely. It's it's one of my favourite feelings is playing first and winning comfortably and then you can just sit back, watch all the other fixtures and just sort of not really care what happens, you know. Um, I'm just sort of looking back at all the goals and looking at all the reaction and just seeing other people play and just just having a great weekend really. I think it's, it's a fantastic start and uh, it definitely silenced a lot of the haters who were slagging off leads this week. I think it made a big difference it coming at the end of the week that it came as well, like mm. with all the, you know, the awful stuff that the government's doing regarding child meals and football actually for once being a positive force for social change. And then, you know, the, so the whole week's been quite intense in that regard, I found anyway. And then you get to Friday night and you're just hoping to all hell that we don't fuck it up and ruin the weekend. And when you actually come through that and, and you know, play as well as we did, it just... It's a great, great feeling, and it, you know it's it's rare, so we need to savor it. Yeah, and uh, lovely to see Liam Cooper and the lead squad getting behind the uh, 
uh, backing of food banks in Leeds as well. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Thank you to anyone who, uh, off the back of our tweet about giving the money for the pay per view this Friday to the Leeds, Leeds Bank, uh, Leeds Food Bank, and um, yeah, it's great seeing that. Um, fans can come together collectively and make that sort of difference so all in all a really positive weekend for us um let's talk about the game in particular um i've just seen tom woodhead take a massive swig of his brew dog so um um, i'm going to ask him the question first (laughs) obviously other beers are available we should get um a sponsorship from, from from a beer company shouldn't we that's the most like podcast thing you can ever say isn't it like other things are available yeah yeah exactly people always say that on podcasts (laughs) <laughs> as if anyone cares <laughs> this yeah. brew dog are going to ring us and be like oh, excuse me i listened to your podcast the other week and you mentioned our, our beers but no one else's um to be f- to be fair brew dog once did issue a lawsuit against one of my friends and asking him to change the name of his artistic like uh his songwriting output so you know maybe they would <laughs> this is a band drew bog is it <laughs> but yeah tom let's talk about the game itself um it's been. I want to. I want to say it's been more than twelve hours, but uh, yeah, it has. It's not been quite twenty-four hours. Um, we've we've got a bit of critical distance from the game. How how are you looking back on that game, and and how do you see it now with the cold hard light of the next day uh, at your disposal? Yeah, I haven't had the opportunity to watch the entire thing back. Although I did watch the first twenty minutes or so, because I was quite at the time. It felt to me like Stroik was actually playing okay, apart from um, his. Uh, apart from you know a couple of rash challenges that could have seen him uh, taken off and yeah it, in general I, I just thought we played very very well um, it wasn't perfect and it never is but this felt like one of those championship games where we uh, as opposed to the Wolves game that felt like you know Wigan this felt more like one of those championship games where we just seemed like we're first to every loose ball and um, every time Villa had a touch they seem really panicked because they haven't had the ball for ages and they're, they're making bad decisions because we're forcing them in, you know, to make bad decisions all the time from the amount of pressure that we're putting on. So it, it definitely felt like um, probably the most complete performance of the season so far. How about you, Joe? How are you looking back on that game? Yeah, absolutely. I agree with Tom. It was uh, it was a complete performance. I mean, you know, not, not 100%. There was that spell before half-time where it felt like Villa were growing into the game. Um, but... Overall, yeah, I think it was fantastic performance, fantastic away from home. I think we just we just did all the right things. Like every player seemed to step up, as particularly the ones uh, that were out of position. So I'm thinking of Ailing, Click. Um, they they stepped up for me big time. I thought they were men of the match, and obviously Bamford getting a hat trick. You know that deserves that deserves some credit because the second and third finish were amazing. But I think this was, this was for me, this was really about the players uh, stepping up that had been moved out of position. Yeah, for sure. Right, let's just talk about quickly the first half and then a bit about the second half as well, just do the, the overview stuff. Um, <clears throat> the first half, watching it back, um, I, I was, I guess, not interested in how much I thought Villa had... Um, chances in that first half I, I I didn't come away from the game thinking as though we absolutely deserved to win off the basis of the first half performance in particular uh, but it was interesting watching it back and you know we talk about game state a lot on here and um, Villa had a few chances um, where they could have um, maybe changed things around a little bit um, so 
let's talk a bit about about the first half in particular because the game felt a lot more balanced in the first half didn't it Joe? Yeah it did and I think I think Villa were doing a good job of sort of making it quite bitty I think they were going down for fouls quite a bit and slowing the pace of it down and you know just just doing what we all thought they they might do to keep to keep the a lid on the pace of the game um and then like you say the the game state obviously changed that in the second half but um yeah the first the first 20 minutes I thought we were fantastic first maybe 25 um we we seemed to be dominating possession of the ball and then Villa Villa just sort of grew into it before half time and it was looking like it was going to be one of those games where if Villa nicked the first goal I think it would have been really really difficult and actually um Melier made some brilliant saves to keep us in the game uh, at that point so that deserves a lot of credit too. Yeah there was a couple of chances weren't there obviously there was the um, Grealish chance that was cleared off the line by Ailing, um, and then there was a I think as well in the first half that that um, Stuart Dallas inexplicable ball across the field which I think was, did it fall to was that to Grealish as well and then Ailing pulled off a, a great challenge it might have been it may have been Watkins I can't remember who it was in particular but um there was a few things there. and obviously then you had the Jack Grealish run and chance at the beginning of the second half as well but then mm. after that it was all all plain sailing um Tom what what are your thoughts on on Villa's sort of threatening chances uh, and how different could the game have been had one of those come off yeah obviously it's always going to be really difficult for us as soon as we go a goal behind um because teams can just sit off then and, and play on the counter uh it did feel like the chances that Villa created, it was mostly via individual skill um, or, you know, moments of individual creativity, mostly from Grealish. Um, so it d- it definitely didn't feel like they were carving us up and in a particularly tactical way where we were exposing our flaws or anything like that, uh, which is, it, it always makes me feel a bit more sanguine about the chances when, when it's like that. You know, Grealish is a great dribbler. So if Grealish dribbles through half your team, then you know, what you're going to do, you can't put two men on him because that messes up our entire plan. So I think you have to accept that those sort of chances are just part and parcel of the way we play. Um, And from memory, I don't think there were any chances where I thought, oh, Jesus Christ, that's bad defending or anything like that. Apart from potentially the one that Ailing cleared off the line, which was caused by Ailing. I think Ailing has got a bit of a crisis of confidence regarding his flop now because it's not been working as well in the Premier League. No, genuinely, like in, in the Championship, he would have flopped there 100%, but it feels like it's not it's not fooling the refs so much in the Premier League. So he... You know, he dithered on the ball a bit and it got it got it nicked from him, but obviously did fantastically well to get back on the line. I've got a couple of things to say, actually. One is that something that people haven't really remarked on is the way that Luke Ayling was playing at left centre-back. Um, and I wondered whether or not anyone had any thoughts on that. My initial feeling was that um, the, they, they wanted the stronger defensive player on the right to cover for Grealish coming in from that side and I think maybe the feeling was that Robin Koch would be that player although I don't necess- necessarily know if that was the case um, the other thing is maybe they thought that it would be better for a maybe more mobile defender uh, to cover for Alioski um, on the on the left hand side as well but I, I wondered if, if either of you had any thoughts on that. I actually thought another factor was just that Koch normally plays on the right and it might have been that Bielsa, you know, since everyone else was out of position in the defence uh, to, to where they normally play, at least he could just keep Cock in his normal position rather than swapping them over. So I, I actually thought it was it was more that than necessarily um, mm. other tactical reasons. 
I also think that even when he's playing as part of a centre-back pairing, part of the two, Ailing plays a little bit like he's in a back three when he's a centre-back, even when it is a back two. So mm-hmm. if you put him on the right of that pairing, then he's going to start doing his overlapping runs and things almost semi-naturally, I think. Whereas on the left, he plays naturally a bit more conservatively because you know he, he's not going to he's not going to do those overlapping runs on the left side in the same way. Yeah, I watched an interesting video actually this week looking at Joe Roden. Bizarrely, um, my friend Nathan Clark, who is a big Spurs commentator, um, did uh, a long video analysis with um, a guy called Harry, who is a, a coach um, at some academy somewhere, I can't remember. And they were talking, spending a lot of time talking about playing Joe Roden, who's a right-sided centre-back in a left-sided centre-back position. Uh, and obviously, we, we all know the debates about um, passing angles from a, from a um, well, when you're playing on the wrong side of your defence to the way that your um, strong foot is. But he made this really interesting point about the way that um, certain rights, rights footed centre-backs can actually move the ball out a lot more centrally usually if you if you're going to try and ping the ball long you'll move the ball out to the side that your dominant foot is on so if you take the ball facing down the field you'll push the ball out to the right on about a 45 degree angle so just so you can get um, a better strike at the ball and someone like Joe Roden actually um plays the ball out a lot more centrally and that apparently makes a big difference because it just sort of opens up the field to you a lot bit a lot more your initial first touch can actually make a big difference now I didn't really look at this last night um, or this morning when I rewatched, but I wondered whether or not there was some element of that as well that Bielsa was thinking of maybe he thinks that that Ailing is is able to progress the ball better on that side or maybe he feels as though Robin Koch's long um, passing is better from that side as well so that probably came into it as well I think we've definitely seen that in the past with uh, Berardi playing as the left-sided centre-back. I think he definitely shows elements of that um, and actually looks better in that position than he does when he plays on the right side of a centre-back pairing. I just wanted to mention again XG versus post-shot XG because last week, well, on Monday, we were talking about Leeds making 1.6 XG into 0.5 XG post-shot. So basically that means that the chances that we had would normally result in 1.6 goals if you played the match an infinite number of times. But actually, if you look at the shots after we um, after we struck the ball, we would only have scored 0.5 xg. Um, so the chances were reduced by us kicking the ball, basically, uh, which is a reduction of 1.1 xg, which is a, a big reduction. But actually, what happened this week um, or uh, this Friday was um, it was Villa's turn to do that. So they put up 1.2 xg of chances, but actually after they hit the ball they only created 0.4 xg and so it's very much a game of of, of different finishings and we, we talked about this last week you know this is going to happen in the premier league um you when you have elite players like that sometimes they're just going to come and and put everything away they're going to make they're going to take chances and make them even better by the by the way they they hit it um and yesterday we we managed to do that much better in fact we put up 3.4 3.2 quite a bit of xg um let me get that correct figure for you um and yeah 3.4 xg i was correct the first time so we actually underperformed our xg which is um very least thing to do but um 3.4 xg is a is a huge amount of xg to be putting up so it's really nice to see us putting up those sorts of figures right we had some questions about villa's mid block because i think and i think this is really important context for a lot of what happened last night um we talked i talked a lot in the tactics preview about the way that villa were going to play a mid block um and there's a, a couple of interesting things I think to say from that. So we had a couple of questions. So we'll do we'll go through those questions first, but then we'll talk about the the Pascal stroke 
sub uh, on the basis of that. So um, Rishad asks, did Villa's mid-block play to our strengths by giving us time on the ball and space to play through and in behind? Villa's best period of 10 to 15 minutes in the first half came when they seemed to press more aggressively and gain more control in the central midfield. And then Richard said, was it just me or did the Villa wide players just not bother tracking back? Janny seemed to have the freedom of the left flank. Um, and there's there's just a couple of things to note. First thing is is that I spent a lot of the preview talking about how Villa have been lining up in a four four two in their mid block in the last few games with Ross Barkley in the team. And curiously, yesterday they didn't. They they went back to a sort of more standard four three three, and in the mid block their wingers dropped back a little bit more, so they formed a four five one. And I think this probably informs what we're going to talk about with the Pascal Strauch uh, substitution. Um, but also, I think the Villa's mid-block was just utterly unable to defend against the way that we were playing. So I'm going to hand this one over to you guys first. So Tom, what are your thoughts on the, on the, the mid-block and, and, the, and the fact that it just seemed completely unable to do anything with respect to stopping Leeds from going forward? Yeah, I think Rashad um, has hit the nail on the head, really. Like, I think he's described it perfectly well. Um, it, it, I think when you actually go through all the games we've played under Bielsa, I think this is the defensive style that we probably do do best against. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, If you want to beat us, I think you need to really, you know, go hard or go home. You need to, you need to park the bus or you need to be incredibly aggressive and press as high. They're, they're the two styles that we struggle against. I think it is these sort of more wishy-washy uh, mid-block situations like Bristol City is a good example from in the championship that, you know, we make hay in situations like that. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's an effective strategy to play against us. And I, and I think any team that plays this way against us is going to struggle. I completely agree and I think it's it's something that we talked about on in the preview about Villa being in a kind of transitional phase um you know in terms of last season uh, they would attack a bit more or they would you know try and try and go a bit harder and retain more possession and now they're sort of being a bit more re- realistic um I remember that's what the Aston Villa chat was saying on the on the preview and it, you could kind of see that yesterday that they they weren't necessarily sure whether they were going to attack and come out at us and press us high or whether they should sit completely deep and pack 10 11 men behind the ball and so i think that yeah they ended up in this mid block that just wasn't really effective and mm. i think um richard is absolutely right like when they did press us a bit more effectively uh, in the second half of the first half um, sort of 20 minutes before half time um, it did work out for them but I think it was probably a fitness thing that they just couldn't keep it up for the the whole second half. So I think the the reason why teams will play a mid block is if the, if you're playing against someone who's trying to play it out from the back what you do is you just say well we're not going to be able to win the ball against you in a high press so what we're going to do is we're just going to sit in a really nice defensive structure and, and wait for you to come to us and then we're going to start the press in, in and around the halfway line. And I think what Leeds did yesterday was they just played so directly. So we saw the ball, we saw one, we saw lots of switches of play. So the ball from one side to the other um, and looking to find one of the of the wingers and we also just we didn't really mess around with it in our own half that much and I think what what that meant was is and the reason why you play that mid block then is that you give a bit more coverage for your defense right so you've got your your, your central midfielders only sat just in front of your defense uh, and they do a lot of the defensive work um and I think what we did yesterday was that we we just we bypassed that a lot by speed. We just sort of got the ball forward quickly. We tried to get our wingers isolated one on one with with their fullback. So Matty Cash had a huge amount of work to do yesterday because we just the ball was constantly coming to 
to Harrison and Harrison was just one on one um against him and and it, it's just really really hard for for a, a one defender to have to go go through those actions over and over again but it was happening a lot on on Costa's side as well and I think as a result of that it meant that we were getting into situations where we were running directly at their defense we got in behind their defense uh, well not in behind in behind their midfield and um actually when you put their defenders um under that sort of pressure they they collapse a lot and it was really interesting I think that the the, uh, the final goal that Bamford scored none of the defenders seemed to really jump in on him um he he seemed to have a huge amount of space, and I think that was because they'd had they spent the whole game just sort of being run out uh, over and over and over again. And um, uh, I just think we did a really really good job of of exploiting that. And so I think this is interesting because I think that you know that's a I think that's a different style of play that we've played um, really P- playing really direct like that. We haven't done that. We didn't do that so much in the in the championship. And I think a lot of people used to get really frustrated because they'd be like, why are we not playing the ball forward quick enough, etc. But yeah, Villa's mid block just because they weren't able to ever get into their defensive structure. These were just getting constantly uh, in behind. So that brings us then nicely to Pascal Strauch substitution, uh, which I think has confused a lot of people. Um, I watched the game back, and he comes off in twenty minutes and doesn't really do anything wrong. Um, no. <laughs> he he gives away that yellow card, um, and a lot of people are saying, well, you know, you can't mark Grealish on a yellow card, but he wasn't really marking Grealish either. Like his he was covering. Ross Barkley largely um, and so yeah we've got a question from uh, well firstly we'll start off with, I'll, I'll question you guys what do, what do you think the Pascal Strauch substitution was about Joe? Just to state the obvious he, he was on a yellow and he and he nearly got a second yellow a minute after that um, and that might be something that the ref had had said to him that you know you're on your last warning kind of thing and I think um, that that's happened before in Bielsa's tenure where where he's taken a player off who's, who's on a yellow Um I think it was Phillips, and I think yeah. So obviously, there's there's further deeper tactical reasons, but um, I think Stroik was very likely to be red carded in the in the next seventy minutes because he knew that that was going to be something Villa would exploit, and players like Grealish who do win a lot of fouls would have easily exploited that, and I, I think that probably would have been um, it. Probably would have been a red card for him. I think you need to look at it. Like, uh, why do we play Strike there to start with, right? So we play, Phil- and it's the same reason we play Phillips there when we play Phillips there, because number one, oh, well, they're about equal, but number one, he's got a great range of passing. He can play long balls and short balls accurately. Number two, he's got a great physical presence. Um, he's, he's a big lad. He's strong. He can, um, he can hold off challenges when he's closed down. And I think, I suspect that what Bielsa has looked at, he's, he's, he's obviously looked at that yellow card and thought, this is... A pretty dangerous situation where this player could be sent off. So, are those reasons that we've got Stroik in there? Do we actually need that physical presence? Do we need that player who has that great range of passing? And I think he's determined that Quick can do the passing acceptably enough, and we don't actually need the player a player that has that physicality there. So, why take the risk of Stroik possibly being sent off? I think I think that's probably something close to his thought process. No, I totally agree. I think we we were so well. I was so convinced that Villa were going to try and do something similar, where they would sort of play as a four, almost as a four-two-three-one, and have Barkley pushing forward and and, and pressing in the two alongside um, 
uh, Watkins because that's what they've been doing in the last few games and they did that in, in games uh, against teams who were playing similar systems to us as well right they played that way against Liverpool um, who play basically the same system that we do um, so I, I suspect that Bielsa probably expected them to come out in that way have maybe Ross Barkley slightly more advanced and then have the two um, McGinn and, and Douglas Louise slightly deeper in a double pivot that's not what happened and I think like you said, you, you don't need that. You don't really need that physical presence in a in a game where actually a lot of the the transitions are just taking place in wide areas anyway. Um, Villa are looking to come through Grealish down the left hand side anyway, so you don't even really need some kind of big big player who's who's going to be defensively sound, who's who's going to be tidying up in those sorts of areas. And so I think that he he put up as you said, Tom, put everything together and thought I would rather play click have um, a more um, expansive player on the field as um, Jamie Shackleton have the two together and then you can you can become a lot more uh, dangerous in that in that sense um, so I think I think it's a combination I say of of, of the tactical aspect of it um, match them up they they so they were playing with a single pivot deeper and then um, um, McGinn and um, Barkley together as a as sort of two eights attacking and I think he just sort of preferred to have um Two, the two eights matching with two eights and then having click dropping back and doing the build-up play when when and where it was needed. But also because, as we've said, we were playing so much more directly than we usually do that I don't think he felt that we needed to have, as you've said, a really expansive passer in that space. It's, it's more a case of being available for the ball, picking it up, moving it on and um, allowing the ball to progress down the wings because that's where we were eventually aiming to go. So I, I think that it, it's a combination of those two things. Moving quickly on then to the second half, we had a question from Just Some Guy 1970 who said, "Really interesting how we battered them down the wings first half. Then when we when they played wider to counter it in the second, Rodrigo had more of the ball through the middle and really came alive." So, um, guys, what did you? Let's start with you, Tom. What did you make of the second half? Because it did feel as though we were we just sort of dominated them in the second half. And do do you think there was a fitness thing, or do you think there was any sort of tactical uh, angle to it? I must admit, I didn't notice any huge tactical changes um, mm. at the time, and I haven't had a proper opportunity to watch the full game back. But I think Rodrigo's performance throughout was great, and uh, and we've we seem to have now reached a point where Rodrigo is part of the team. You know, like mm. he he will play if he's fit now. I don't, he's not going back on the bench, um, and and he's starting to understand the runs. He's starting to understand where people are going to be when he's got the ball, and it, and. He, Obviously, if you give a player of that kind of talent space, then he's going to do dangerous things with it. Even even when I, I remember this, there was one point um, in the second half, I think, where he sprayed the ball out wide to Harrison, and I thought, oh, he's overhit that pass. But actually, he overhit it by just the right amount, and it ended up being a better pass than something that was a bit more simple. And I think mm-hmm. he's he's good at things like that. He 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 sees moves like two or three steps ahead, and not in the same way that Pat Blow does, but in in a sort of um, it's a sort of analogue of what Pablo does in, in that he he sees things a bit further ahead than most players do, I think. Yeah, it's all about progression for him, isn't it? It's all about taking the ball in one situation and moving it to a more dangerous situation. And mm. he again, yesterday, uh, we've had, lo- obviously we've had a load of effusive questions about a lot of players, which is which is rightly so. We played really well in the second half in particular. Um, but a lot of this, I do think, comes down to the... The, the mid block that Villa are playing, and I do think it really it really suits someone like Rodrigo, which you didn't see. Like we had people in the last after the last game being like, should we drop Bamford? Should we move Rodrigo somewhere else and stuff like that? Um, and it's really easy to sort of 
jump on 90 minutes and say this is now indicative <laughs> of the way that we are um yeah so i would say you know whilst a lot of what we did was really great just try and take it with a pinch of salt try and remember some of the frustrations that you had with the wolves game uh, and apply it but rodrigo is really really gelling in the team and i think we, he's a really important player for us because like pablo there's not a lot of really creative players in our team at the mm. minute and there hasn't been for for a few seasons and you know, it, just the, the ability that he has to to play that pass that that sets Costa through for the second goal, uh, third goal. Um, you, you need players like that who can see those, can yeah. see those angles, can see those um, the, those chances that no one else can see. And um, and a lot of it is to do with progression. It's about, as I said, taking the ball from one context context and moving it to another, where actually suddenly we start looking a lot more dangerous. One thing I would be interested in now, and obviously I don't want it to happen because Bamford's playing brilliantly, but you know, if Bamford got an injury, what would we do with Rodrigo? Would we move him up front or would we play mm-hmm. Tyler Roberts up front? You know, and that, that'll tell you partly how important Bielsa feels his midfield contribution is to the way that we're going to play like, in the future. I think it's also Bielsa will like the flexibility that he has in being able to push mm. Rodrigo forward in a situation where you might want two strikers. So it's almost yeah. like he's 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 not an out and out striker, but he's also not an out and out midfielder. So he sort of can play both roles and sort of um, segue between the two quite comfortably. Um, but yeah, I think we I think do we have some we have some questions about Rodrigo later on. So um, maybe actually let's do it now. Let's just ask the Rodrigo question, seeing as we're on the. Um, on the topic so um, Montag says Rodrigo's impact on the team he probably needs to find his shooting boots but all-round play is amazing his link-ups are brilliant and he rarely loses the ball do we think he's our answer in lieu of a 10 so Tom it sounds like you're saying yeah pretty much Um, Joe what would you say I would say yes as a short answer this was kind of when he came into the team this was kind of where I saw him playing Either either there or out on the wing, but still, you know, with the possibility of him playing as a second striker, and I think having that as an option is is really important for us, and it's proving really effective. Like he he created the first goal, um, shot across the keeper, which is the the classic thing that you you should do in that position, and like you say, he played that amazing through ball to Costa for the third goal, and I think just having having another person that. You can see getting into the box, making later runs than Bamford, perhaps like arriving into the box a bit later, or even arriving to the bo- to the box with the ball at his feet, you know, at the edge of the box, and you know him having the ability to to get a shot on target from that position. I think he's a fantastic addition, and I, I agree with Tom. I think if if Bamford did get an injury, it would be really interesting to see what happens because I think he's really growing into that role uh, in as a number ten and. He, he probably does need to find his shooting boots and it would be nice to see him get a few goals, but his mm. his all-round play is uh, really effective at the moment. Yeah, it's important to say, I think, that over the course of his career, um, Rodrigo has underperformed his XG, which is, I think, indicative of something. But again, the thing that frustrates me about talking about eights and tens is that I don't think Bielsa really... Bielsa does think in those terms because he'll say he'll say, talk about them in, in interviews. But I think when, he, when he's thinking about setting a team up, he's thinking more in terms of roles. So when you think of Rodrigo, he's playing that Pablo role as well you know that 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 idea of who can we bring into this team who's going to be able to if you're playing and the system isn't really creating enough chances you've got this one player who can actually create chances out of nothing and so you've got just a little bit of a backup in case the system itself isn't coming off as quite as as it might do as well do you want a final word on um, Rodrigo Tom well I I I think the the other thing that I would say is that it's really 
it's really good for Pablo as well, I think, to have this other player that, you know, Pablo sometimes feels like he has to bear the weight of the world on his shoulders. And I think, mm. you know, this this having Rodrigo as well, it, it's going to be really nice this season having the ability to use Pablo as and when we need to rather than feeling like we absolutely have to or we're never going to score a goal again. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Right, let's move on to talk about... We usually go uh, the order here, defence and then attack, but I've reversed it because I think we were so good going forward yesterday and, and, and we should really celebrate that. Remarkably, not many questions about Bamford um, other than sort of tongue-in-cheek ones. But um, let's talk about Bamford because, you know, this is really the probably the crowning moment of his career to date. You know, it's, um, it's, it's, it's probably the, the moment at which you sort of have to say haters going to hate but Bamford's really come out and done what what we always said that he was capable of um through the course of last season so who wants to begin by waxing lyrical about Bamford Joe do you want to you, you start us off and tell us about how good Bamford was yesterday well he he was fantastic um we've we've had a a request to to get in from from Darren Driver our regular friend on this pod to to just say to reiterate that uh his chances in the first half weren't actually as easy as uh, everyone is making out, and I do agree with that. I think they were they were difficult chances, and you know you like to see them go on target. But um, to to be honest, I don't, I don't really care when I look at the the other goals that he scored. I'd sort of forgotten all about his missed chances in the first half because you know the the first one typical poacher's goal. You know he's he's in the right place, and that's where strikers should be. But the but the second and the third goals are just unbelievable. I, I think he's just one of those players that sees the criticisms that he's getting, and you know he sometimes it can bring him down, but sometimes it can really fuel him. And I think in this game, for for whatever reason, he just. He just took those criticisms and just let it let it fuel him for this game, and just you know played played against that and played to silence the haters. And I, I think he did a fantastic job. Like that second goal was just unbelievable. There's virtually no backlift, and it just goes straight in the top bins. You know, it's it's ridiculous. I think that's easily goal of the month. He was like watching prime Zlatan Ibrahimovic yesterday. It that's was exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was very Zlatan-esque. Yeah. We had a question from uh, Miguel Ramirez. He says, does Pat Bamford get an England call-up a la Dominic Calvert-Lewin? If not, Mexico will gladly take him. Um, I'm, not, I'm not a great fan of international football, but um, I, I guess the question is going to be asked, is, is, is Bamford doing enough to um, deserve a call-up, Tom? Well, I mean, it's, he's not going to be required to run around like a maniac for 90 minutes versus 
you know, Iceland <laughs> or whoever England go out of the Euros to. So I I, I don't know. Um, he's I I think Bamford's a great player, but does that mean that you put him in the England squad ahead of Calvert-Lewin and Ings? Because I, I think Calvert-Lewin is actually quite a similar player to Bamford. I think they've got a similar skill set and, and Calvert-Lewin's also in red-hot form at the moment. So I, I think, with all, as we've talked about before, with all players in a Bielsa side, they benefit from the system and you take them out of that system. Hmm. And, you know, it's a completely different prospect. And that, that's not a criticism of Bamford. Bamford deserves all the praise in the world for integrating into our system and, and doing such a fantastic job of, of what he's being asked to do. But he won't be asked to do those things by Southgate. He'll be asked to stand up front and hope for the best. So, I mean, I, I'm sure it'd be fine, but I don't have any particular desire for him to play for England other than... It's just nice watching Leeds players play for England, but you know, keep him back at Thorpe Arch. Don't get injured. <laughs> it's yeah, it's interesting. I mean, far far be it from all stats aren't we to blow their own trumpet, but we've been talking Bamford up for a couple of seasons now. Josh Hobbs wrote a piece this summer about how the Premier League could suit Pat Bamford, and it seems as though that that is all coming good. Um, I looked at his stats actually um, at the moment and he's just, it's weird. He's become a different player. Like usually when you look at Pat Bamford's um, um, sort of statistical um, uh, attributes, he's he's doing really well on everything other than the, the striking parts of the game. I mean, he's getting, he gets in good positions, so his XG is always quite high. Um, but at the moment, he's becoming like the opposite kind of striker. He's not actually doing so much off the ball as he was and everything he's doing at the moment is becoming a prime poach poaching striker who can like you know he's sort of becoming Raul Jimenez for us um, and it's it's remarkable to see that so I, th- I think well, that Mexico does... will gladly take him <laughs> yeah, exactly so yeah so you can imagine that one two of Bamford and uh, Jimenez but I, I, I must say I, w- I would absolutely love Pat Bamford to get a call up for Mexico <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. I'd be fully on board with that no same that would be great um, but yeah really remarkable that, that actually you know Bamford is playing in a different way and that different way is suiting him in the Premier League. So long may it continue. Right, it's just a list now. It's a litany of people that everyone wants to wax lyrical about. So um, let's start off with Jamie Shackleton. Um, Obviously, it's just bizarre. It's bizarre, isn't it? Because Jamie Shackleton could barely get any minutes before this game and then suddenly just sort of slung on after 20 minutes in a a game. and he played very well, um, but it, I, I do wonder sometimes what goes through Bielsa's head. You know, the the fact that he'll, he he would rather play Alioski as a central midfielder ahead of Shackleton, and then in this situation, he's just sort of happy to be like, yeah, well, we'll give him seventy minutes. What could possibly go wrong? Um, but yeah, a few questions about Shackleton. So um, Charlie Hunter says, how good slash underrated is Shaq, and would he get better with more time in the pitch? I think he would. Um, and then Simon Tinsley um, always want to wind us up about squad depth. Says, do we really need an eight? When Shackleton is the best central midfielder in the world, uh, Tom, how did you think Shaq played yesterday? I thought he was superb. He he did lots of those little linking passes, which I think is his speciality when he's in in the midfield. Like these very short but intelligent passes, then and then he he moves very quickly to be ready for a one-two or whatever. And and, and I think the fact that. Bielsa brought him on as you say we I think we sometimes like to think that we understand what what Bielsa's thought process is and in some ways we do but then he he throws a curveball like this and reminds us that it's actually him that's the genius and not us Um, like he yeah I, I I just I think once you're in once you're part of the senior squad even if you're not playing Bielsa will be happy to use you otherwise he would sell you so I think that's possibly the takeaway from that decision to bring him on but 
yeah, I thought I thought Shackleton was great. He, he was propulsive. He was um, his movement was very good. Um, I always like watching our movement when we've got a throw in because most teams just sort of stand around a bit, but ours it looks like a carousel, like a you know like mm. a fairground ride or something. Players just running around and be, and Shackleton's really great at that kind of thing. And also, he's the kind of player I think that the more players you have like that on the same wavelength, the better those players look. Um, I sometimes think that Man City hoard players like that like people like Bernardo Silva where sometimes what they're doing doesn't seem that obviously great but the way that they're linking up with with players who have a similar thought process mm. make you know makes what they're doing better and better and uh, yeah I, I it would be it's it's that thing we always talk about oh we wish Shackleton would get more minutes um and then he ends up not getting many more minutes and we can't actually think of situations where he should get more minutes um so it's nice to actually see him get minutes in the premier league against a decent team and look absolutely the part yeah i guess my only sort of hesitancy with shackleton is he just looks so small and i know that's i think that's unfair to to sort of lump on a player because you look at manchester city you've mentioned already bernardo silva he's a diminutive player but so's phil foden i mean phil foden's tiny we've had lewis cook um play that sort of role before and he's been small as well um i think i think yesterday was a sort of really good example of 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 bringing on a player who um He's a sort of a classic ball carrier, right? We, we we talk about eights all the time, but then if you if if you say that at the moment we've got Click as an eight and Shackleton as an eight, I, I find them entirely different players in many respects. And again, I wonder whether or not the reason why Shackleton was brought on yesterday was tactical, whether or not Bielsa realised that actually it would be we we need to be better in transition than better in defence. This is going to become a game where we're getting a lot of transition. Um, Villa are sitting in a midfield three rather than a two with one in front and one that means we can use width because you've you've got a sort of narrow band of 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 midfielders and if you can get in behind their wingers then you can just run straight at their wing backs fullbacks um but also like Shaq is just a he's just a great ball carrier as well and I wonder whether or not that came into his his head as well um maybe he just wanted a little bit more um just a little bit more uh, slickness in transition in the central midfield as well um but yeah just I I thought a, a fantastic game from him I don't know whether or not, to answer Simon's question whether or not I would be happy with just the two eights Click and Shackleton I would quite like I would have liked someone of the profile of someone like Rodrigo de Paul who is who is both a brilliant ball carrier but also a brilliant and defensive player as well but I think Shackleton's got quite defined tendencies hasn't he like um you get players who would rather play a 20 yard pass and Shackleton would rather run 10 yards and play a 10 yard pass and I think that's a very specific tactical tendency that he naturally Mm. has so he's he can be very useful to fill fulfill a certain tactical need because of that I think like as and when it's required speaking of passes We've had a lot of people talk, talking about the Rafinha pass after he came on. Um, Rich Priestley says, what about that pass from Rafinha? That was Pablo-esque. Not really a question. Was it? That was the question. So he's asking the question how Pablo-esque was the pass. Uh, Clem says, that pass through the middle to the left wing from Rafinha needs some analysis. It was simply sublime. He wasn't on for long, but he showed he's got some real quality. Joe, talk to us about Rafinha and that pass in particular. Well, um, I mean, firstly... What a pass. Unbelievable. I mean, I'm not sure how much analysis I can really give on it, apart from just saying he completely cut open the whole team, basically. I think there was at least eight or nine players in front of him, and they were just all taken out of the game, um, which you just absolutely love to see. Um, I think he's just really showing his quality, even in the the small periods that um, he's played. 
Um, in the in the Wolves game when he came on, he he made that great run down the left hand side and that cut back onto the edge of the box, um, which really should have been something. Um, and then yeah, in this game he he didn't do too much, but he just he just shows little individual bits of quality. Um, and I'd quite like to see him come on for a, a little bit longer if if the timing's right and if the tactical setup is right because I think mm. he can really show what he's made of even further with playing sort of 30 or 40 minutes. I think that'll be fantastic when he eventually does get those minutes. Yeah, he does seem to be a bit more direct than um, Helder Costa in the sense that he, he loves to come along, he loves to, loves to almost run along the edge of the 18-yard box um, in, in a way that I don't think Costa does quite so much. But um, yeah, it's going to be exciting seeing a little bit more from Rafinha. Tom, what's your um, initial thoughts on Rafinha been? Yeah, it, he he just looks exciting. He he keeps the ball very close to his feet when he's dribbling, doesn't he? And and he's able to do that because his touch seems to be incredibly good. So, yeah, I I you know I wouldn't have any worries about him coming into the team at all if we had an injury or something. He looks he looks very exciting. Yeah, I, I did have the feeling as well that you just mentioned, Joe, of wanting to see more of him. I'd love to see him starting for a game, just so you get a real sense of what he's going to look like over ninety minutes. But no doubt that will happen at some point in the future. Right. Um, there was one more question. I thought I included this one actually because it was a bit more negative. So I think it was good to have maybe a, a bit more of a critical question. Mark Dennett said, I'd be interested to see Ka- Costa's stats from the f- the game. I didn't think he did that much. Um, I actually looked into the, the, the stats that came out from um, FB Ref, so the stats bomb data. Uh, actually, I, I don't think Costa and Harrison really were that different. I think uh, Harrison was getting the ball a lot more because we were playing that switch ball from, from either Robin Koch or Stuart Dallas across to to Harrison trying to get him isolated um so yeah uh, Harrison sort of carries the ball uh, 273 meters I guess it is um to Heldecoster's 164 so um Harrison was getting the ball a little bit more they made sort of comparative passes um they both I mean Costa's passing was slightly better um uh, although it wasn't quite so long so Harrison made 181 meters worth of passes to um, Costa's 117 but I think the the important stat is that they both created a lot of expected assist values so um, Harrison created 0.8 XA and um, Helder Costa created 0.5 um, Harrison created what um, Statsbomb calls shot creating actions so these are just sort of uh, actions that result in, in uh, shots so Harrison had 8 of those and Costa had 5 as well so yeah I think if you compare them if you compare the two players against each other then Harrison probably had the better game yesterday but I think that Costa was still productive he was still doing a lot um he had you, you know they both had a lot of touches they both made a lot of pressing actions actually held Costa's pressing was very good um no doubt because he was um on on Jack Grealish's side as well so there was maybe a little bit uh, more work to be done on that side but um either of you got a th- got any thoughts on Costa because I did see a lot of few people sort of being a bit bit negative about him but I thought Costa was fine yeah, I agree. I th- I think he people expect him sometimes. I think to do explosive things all the time, and that's not necessarily always his role in the team. And 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 when people say he's not involved or he didn't do much, I, I I try not to think about things like that. It's more when he did do something, was it worthwhile? Was it did it contribute to our play? Did it did it you know contribute towards us progressing the ball or or getting in a situation where we're more likely to score a goal? And I think it did. 
Let's move on to the defensive side of things then, um, because Luke Ayling had another fantastic game yesterday. Uh, both Tom and I have spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about how much we like him as a centre-back in a back three. Uh, yesterday proved that he was good as a centre-back in a back two. Um, Mickey Peeker said too much to praise from the game yesterday. Ayling man of the match, and then Neeling, Neil said, sorry, Ayling as a centre-back discuss so I think it's only fair that we start with Tom on this one given that we have spent a lot of time talking about him as a centre-back well firstly I think Mickey Pika has been talking to John a bit too much because I was <laughs> having an argument with him earlier on Twitter about uh, Bamford's third goal which I thought was spectacular and he was just moaning about the defending so this is not <laughs> the Mickey Pika that I knew 10 years ago who would who would have just told me I wasn't I wasn't being fun enough if I'd have said something like that um <laughs> But yeah, I, I thought Ailing played really well. Um, it's it's a bit disappointing that Darren isn't on this podcast so that we can rub it in his face how well Ailing played as a centre back because uh, <laughs> Darren does not like it. But um, yeah, I thought I thought he did really well, I, and, and I can see that he, he he does have potential weaknesses in a two. But I don't think apart from that one uh, moment where he, he dithered over doing his flop and ended up having to clear the ball off the line, I don't think they were. Those weaknesses certainly weren't exposed yesterday. He fell over at one point under no. Oh yeah, he did. Yeah, <laughs> but but again, but again, yeah, like he fell over, and Aston Villa's players just stood on the halfway line and didn't even think about trying to close him down. So, yeah, I I I I, I love Ailing. I think I just think he's my he's my favourite player, and thirty-five year old men should not have a favourite player, but Luke Ailing <laughs> is mine. I, I agree with you. I think Ailing is, and I was saying this yesterday, I think that, and we disagreed over this, but I do think that the Ailing's trajectory under Bielsa has been remarkable. And I think, you know, he is playing as a, as a legitimately elite fullback at the moment. That's not to mention the fact that he's played a lot of time, spent a lot of time at centre back as well. But I think you could play Ailing in most, like, top six sides, no problem whatsoever. And I think that's a Completely remarkable. Agree. That's a remarkable. Um, thing to say but I, I believe it wholeheartedly um, Joe you must have thoughts on Ailing. yeah I think he he probably was man of the match for me either him or Click I, I know it might be harsh not to give it to Bamford getting a hat-trick but I thought those two were, were brilliant for me and I, I agree with you you chaps I think Ailing's one of my favourite players I think he's he's developed so much in the past few years and he's he's so consistent week in week out he just seems to be I don't know if it's because he's one of the more senior members of the squad or he's 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 got lots of experience and he's just got a calm head on him and I think that he he can drive the team on and we we saw it a lot last season where if we were having one of those bad games um he can just he can just create something out of nowhere he'll just go on a run or he'll take the ball into the middle and you know pl- spray out a pass out wide from there and it's just those little moments that just spur the whole team on and I think yesterday obviously going from playing right back to playing left centre back must be um, quite a lot to to adapt to and I think he did a fantastic job and I think um, rightly so he, he's the vice captain to, to Cooper because I think mm. he really shows that kind of behaviour on the pitch. Yeah, I think he embodies the spirit of the whole team. Like he, he's always trying things. If he makes a mistake, he just gets on with it and tries not to mistake, make a mistake next time. He never lets anything get to him. I remember back last season after that Nottingham Forest game where Ailing gave the interview afterwards and he was very down. And people talk about that interview a lot, but what I don't think people do talk about a lot is that Ailing played incredibly in that Forest game, and I think that's partly why he was so down because his own performance had been outstanding and he was really driving the team on. But we 
just couldn't get that goal. And I think he, it's like everything about the way Ailing plays to me embodies the Bielsa spirit on the pitch. And I think mm. he's just a really essential player for us. I was going to say that one of the things I love about Ailing is that he, and it sounds really unflattering, but he plays within himself. I think no one on our team has an awareness of what their strengths and weaknesses are as much as Ailing. And Ailing mm. does the things that he knows that he can do well really well yeah. and he will do those things and um it's great it's great seeing that happening uh, i'm just on fb ref now and um looking if you sort the um, premier league players all players in the premier league by progressive distance for carries so carrying the ball down the field luke ailing is second after jack grealish so grealish has 1361 meters of progressive distance and luke ailing is second with 1190 i think that's just a remarkable um stat yeah, considering he's played two of those games as a centre back as well. Yeah, exactly, and he's um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's remarkable, and um, he he's obviously a really important part of our team in when it comes to progressing the ball down that right hand side. Um, we would not be doing so well in the Premier League without Luke Ayling. That's an absolute fact. So um, I need to stop before I start crying. But um, <laughs> can I just uh, say something quickly about Dallas before we move on from Ayling? Yeah, sure, I think sure. that's somewhat linked because we have been at times a bit critical of Dallas playing at left back and seeing his performance yesterday made me feel like some of it may have been a little bit unfair just because obviously when he's playing on is on the right side where he can use his right foot more often he he won't make some of those same uh mistakes that he makes on the left and he he's he's a perfectly decent right back for that for this system he played really well so i just wanted to give in a quick all starts that we a uh, bit of praise for <laughs> Dallas because he didn't get much of it. Uh, yeah, let's move on then to talk about Mateus Click at um, centre defensive midfield. We had a load of questions about this. So Will Will Clay said thoughts on Click dropping a bit deeper once Strauch came off. Chris Kirk says Click better at Phil- better than Phillips at CDM, um, which is maybe a bit of a stretch. But Joe, what's your what's your thoughts on um, Click at CDM? Um, I wouldn't say he was, he was better than Phillips at CDM. Firstly, I think. Um, Phillips is easily the best in that position um, in our squad. But I think Click did fantastically yesterday, I thought. You know, we've kind of already already spoken about it, about um, when we discussed why Stroik came off. Um, but I think Click's movement and his reading of the game, he always does the stuff that you don't really notice until you until you decide to watch him. You know, if no if no one's done this yet, then just watch Click for twenty minutes or thirty minutes of a game, and just you'll be so surprised about where he pops up and all the movements that he's doing. He just reads the game fantastically, and I think he was he was perfect for the game yesterday, to be honest, because you know we we've we've already already spoken about Villa's system and how why that suited it, and I think his his movements and his range of passing was just perfect for the game yesterday we didn't need an out and out cdm and so i wouldn't obviously i wouldn't say that he should replace phillips in that position because uh long term we do need someone of phillips caliber in that position and i do prefer click a, a little bit higher up the pitch um but he was brilliant yesterday Neil Motby says to borrow from Stadio, uh, which is another podcast. What if Click gets sold by Christensen to Utrecht instead of going out on loan? Um, Tom, I don't like to think about that. <laughs> <laughs> I, guess, I guess we play Adam Forshaw there, right? We don't have enough eights as it is, do we? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I, I, he just interprets that role very differently to any of the other players who we we have the option of playing there. I think he he makes short passes and then goes off on a run, which it can make us look incredibly dynamic when when it works well because everyone's moving so much, like at the base of that midfield. But um, 
I, I wouldn't want to rely on him there long term because I, because that that movement can be a weakness as well, depending on the sort of uh, the team that we're facing. Whereas someone like Phillips or Strout will will sit a bit more and slow the game down when it needs to be slowed down. And I don't think slowing the game down is ever really in Click's mind. Yeah, again, just to reiterate, it's really really important to contextualize the way that players play based on the um, the tactical context. Um, and I think yesterday's game. Whilst it's wonderful to enjoy dominating a team like that, I think a lot of it will come down to the fact that we were playing against a team who have been setting up in a mid block, and you know they just did. They it's 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 tough to go from that to then playing in a different way, right? You can't just you can't just play a different style of football against every um, opposition that you're going to face, and so I think a lot of this comes down to the fact that Villa, um, you know didn't score the chances that they had and um and from that point on we sort of dominated the game and um uh, and that's that so uh, that's just me being boring um so i hadn't realized as well that uh apparently villa had never they'd not gone behind in any game this season before yesterday as well so that's a new experience for them like going a goal behind and they obviously didn't cope with it very well yeah and just think again think back to monday monday is a game where we had lots of chances we could have got if we'd have gone ahead that would have been a different game mm-hmm. uh, in the end wolves went ahead and that changed the the tenor of the game and that's that's football that's how it happens you try and get the first goal and then you you try and hold that lead um but yeah one final question on on players then um just a question on Alioski because I thought that was fair to um maybe ask a, a little bit uh, ask a question about him because he hasn't really played for us in that position for a while um I feel as though Alioski at left back was an experiment that ended in the blip that we had in the championship and we've never really gone back to him in that position since then so James asks how let, maybe let's have a look at how Alioski coped at left back so um Tom I thought he was fine. He didn't make any huge mistakes. He was positionally relatively disciplined. Um, I don't think Trezeguet really did anything of note in the game. Um, I yeah, I, I I thought he was fine. I, I I'm not sure I'd want him playing there against you know Raheem Sterling or someone like that. But uh, in this game, it worked really well. Yeah, we had a few people asking. Um questions about whether or not this was his best game ever for Leeds which I wasn't quite sure about but <laughs> yeah um, I don't think I'd go that far yeah right one question that we had from last week that I wanted to keep going forward this was from Cov White was just about positive three positives from the game so I wondered if um, you guys had had three positives I've got three to give you a chance to to think about things first so um, my three positives are obviously Pat Bamford uh, proving his haters wrong and having uh, a great game um Another positive was the fact that mid-block isn't the answer to, to Leeds. So just a nice clarification that if we come against other teams that play in a mid-block this season, we should be okay. And then I've got Shackleton getting a, a decent chunk of time. Um, guys, have you got three positives? Yeah, um, I'll say the first one is the the versatility of the defence. We, we That's proven um, that they can all shift around and play out of position and still know the system. Um for the second one, I'll I'll say it's the new signings showing what they're what they're made of, like Rafinha, Rodrigo. They're they're showing that they're fantastic signings, and we know that they're going to grow into the into the team the more that they play. And probably for the third, I find it difficult to uh, to disagree with the Shackleton one because I love Shackleton so much, and I love to see him play. And uh, something we didn't mention earlier was that he he only was in the squad against Wolves because Cooper got injured in the warm up. Mm. He, he wasn't even on the bench um, when when the lineup was named. So I think to go from from that to playing so amazingly yesterday um really shows that he's he's got a strong head on him yeah i think i think you guys have covered a lot of it off really i mean it's trying to come up with three 
separate things to what you guys have said would probably be difficult. Um, I, uh, yeah, I mean, ailing at centre back. Uh, I, I think I think we can definitely close the book on. Do we have enough depth at centre back now? Um, if you've got five players who are capable of playing there, that must be enough. Um, and yeah, I, I it, it was all positive, wasn't it? So picking out three things from a game like that feels almost you know reductive. It's hard to it's hard to it's hard to separate anything out because I thought everyone played really well. Uh, Melier as well, I thought had another great game. Uh, distribution was really good, and he made some important saves. So he's he's I don't know if he's exceeded my expectations, but he's 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 matched my highest expectations so far. I think. Yeah, I was going to have some negatives, but I couldn't really think of any negatives. So instead, I've included a fun question that was sent our way by the inauspiciously named Rate My Sausage, um, <laughs> who who asks, who says, well, Luciano and Lucas have been on Twitter loving last night's results. That's Becchio and Radaby, respectively. Um, would Lucas and or Luciano do well in the current Super Leeds team? I think if they're willing to you know, get up to the fitness standards. I think Luciano Becchio would be a great striker in this team if he, you know, if, if he's capable of, of getting that fit. Uh, he, you know, he, he already runs a lot. He holds the ball up well, uh, does a lot of the things that Bamford does really or in a slightly different way. Bamford's a bit more of a refined player, I think, and Luciano's a bit more blood and guts, but I think he'd do well. And Radaby, definitely. Um, if, if, you know, probably more mid-period Radaby than later on when his knees were made of glass, but... Uh, you know the early sort of mid to mid all action Lucas Radaby I think would be a great centre back in the system. I, I I think he'd you know he'd probably look fulfil a similar role to how to what Cooper does. Um, you know when he's playing uh, decent enough on the ball and yeah I mean who who couldn't be happy with you know Lucas Radaby at the back and that brilliant smile. Yeah, it's one of those things, isn't it, where I just feel like anyone who comes in and takes the system seriously and takes Bielsa seriously is going to look good in this team. So yeah, I I would say. Uh, yes, as well. Do you, anything to add, Joe? You're too young to remember Lucas Radaby, surely. <laughs> yeah, even Becchio. No, I do. I do remember <laughs> both of them well, and uh, yeah, love love to see it. Lucas Radaby was one of my favourite players growing up. So just picturing him in this Bielsa side is uh, makes me very very happy. <laughs> like fan fiction. Yeah. <laughs> Someone will write that. Don't say that, Tom. <laughs> Right, so looking forward, um, we will not be back until uh, Thursday, I think, this week, because the game against Leicester is on Monday night again, so we've got a good long break before we have to start stressing about about Leeds United again. Um, On Monday, though, the under-23s are playing Norwich, who I note are top of the Premier League 2, Division 2, so it should be a a good game. Um, If you're wanting a fix of football before Monday, um, they do show that on the Leeds United uh, Periscope channel, so always worth a watch. Um, If you like what we do and you want to get even more of what we do, there are, um, there's a Patreon channel that we have which has bonus material on it. We put up uh, bonus podcasts, we put up uh, video analyses of games or players. this week, I put up a, an interview with David Sumter, who's an interesting guy. He's a professor of applied mathematics at the University of Uppsala. Uh, he's just written a book called The Equations That Rule the World, which is really fascinating. Um, if that sounds interesting, head over to the Patreon um, and check it 
out. So that's www.patreon.com forward slash all stats aren't we. And I actually have a free copy of David's book to give away. So if you sign up in the next few days and drop your name in the relevant post on Patreon, you'll be entered for a draw on that. Three people who have joined the Patreon this week are Ben McKeever, JN Ryle and Beast Tactical. So thank you guys for getting on board. And that brings us to the end of the podcast. And all that remains for me to do is to say thank you, Joe. Thanks very much. And thank you, Tom. Thank you, and thank you, Leeds United. Yeah, and thank you, Leeds United, very much. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.